0: This is the discourse uh, on the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. And I, I told you before that there are basically three different ways that people interpret the passage, uh, the the passages within this chapter. The first being the view, and I'm going to use my positions up here on the, that the discourse has entirely to do with the end times return of Jesus. Then there are those who have this view over here that... The entire discourse, or at least most of it, has to do with the destruction of Jerusalem that happened in A.D. 70. And then there are those, like me, who are firmly in the middle, who believe that the passages in this chapter are both, they have to do with future prophecy, they also have to do with immediate prophecy, uh, somewhere in between the destruction of Jerusalem and the establishment of the kingdom. In verses three through fourteen that we looked at last week and the week before last, you probably, I hope, if, if I did did what I was intending to do, you probably saw a lot of support for this position over here. That that so far what we have seen is a lot of the destruction of Jerusalem in AD seventy, right? I don't know that today we're going to get a lot of this is end of times, but maybe a little bit, okay? What I want you to keep in mind as we go through this is the question that the disciples asked in verse 3. They came to Jesus privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Now the disciples had these things linked together and because of the nature of man, I mean, if I'm linking things together, they have to be linked together chronologically, right? Jesus is coming in the end of the age in my brain because I live in time, have to be linked chronologically. They are actually two separate events as shown in Jesus' answers. So, for this week, I'm going to invite you to stand as I read verses 15 through 28. So, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight not might... Pray that your flight... There's too many L's and R's in this passage. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been seen, has not been from the beginning of the world until now, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Father, please help us have a heart to understand your word. Help us to understand it in spite of what we may have been taught, in spite of our preconceived notions. Father, help us to look at your word today with fresh eyes. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So, eschatology, a lot of people really, really, really like studying eschatology, I was having a discussion with a coworker of mine this week, and I told him quite honestly that I don't like eschatology. I am not a fan of a big study of the end times. Number one, too many people abuse it. They use it as a hammer to encourage their people to to get out of their seats and do what Jesus told them to do. Uh, If you have to be prodded into being obedient to Jesus, there's something wrong. Uh, Number two... There are way too many people who get so dogmatic about this that it causes divisions within the church. Um, I have known people to be run off because they don't hold the right eschatology. They could be wrong on everything else in their theology, but if they don't believe the right stuff about the end times, you got to go. I'd rather get it right who Jesus is and not worry about his return. Uh, it's not to say that it's not important, but too many people major on this and it's it's not Uh, it's not one of the majors to major on. There is a very large and very popular, at least within the United States and and a lot of Western Europe right now, uh, a school of eschatology that sees this as being this particular, verses 15 through 28, being tied to the the future appearance of the Antichrist and Jesus' return there's there's an inextricable link for some folks and this is a that is a possible interpretation of Jesus's words however i don't think they're looking at it in context i don't think they're looking at it from the right perspective i think that it kind of pulls scripture out of context from the rest of the book and and the rest of what Jesus is saying so i i, I cautiously say i think they're wrong but that doesn't mean we need to break fellowship, right? So look at verse 15. Jesus says, When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. What in the world is Jesus talking about? The the abomination of desolation. We don't use words like that anymore. The prophecy that Jesus is referring to, and he says spoken of by the prophet Daniel, is taken from uh, Daniel chapter 9 and chapter 11. And the particular topic that Daniel is talking about in chapter 9 and chapter 11 is the future destruction of Israel, Jerusalem specifically. That's what he's talking about, is the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, There are a whole lot of opinions about what the abomination of desolation was. Um, but they all point towards some kind of pagan defiling of the temple. Um, Daniel eleven thirty one says, Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. So that definitely sounds like somebody is setting up some kind of idolatrous and profane offering in the temple, in the holy place. That's pretty clear. What was it? Um We, we don't know. We don't know for certain. Now, there are a bunch of Jewish scholars who, looking at Israel's history particularly, Look at what happened in 163 B.C. uh, when the uh, Seleucid emperor Antiochus Epiphanes conquered Jerusalem. Um, He was the the last of the big Seleucid emperors, uh, one of the descendants, uh, political descendants of Alexander the Great. And uh, what he was most notable for was his lack of tolerance for the Jewish religion. See, Alexander, when he conquered, he didn't have a problem with their, their faith as, as Israelites. He didn't have a problem with the faith of the Samaritans. He, the only thing he required was that they take on Greek language and, and that they'd be open to worshiping the Greek gods if they so desired. And of course, the Greek economic system and the Greek political system and all that kind of came part and parcel with the language. But Antiochus, he was so, I don't know, he believed his own press. <laughs> he, he, was, he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. And so when he conquered Jerusalem, he forbade all Jewish practice. They weren't allowed to circumcise their, their boys. They weren't allowed to make sacrifices in the temple. They weren't allowed to gather for the festivals and the feasts. They weren't allowed to do the purification rituals for somebody who had been unclean due to a disease or if a woman was unclean due to her her monthly cycle or whatever. They couldn't do anything that was prescribed in Scripture. And the more the Jews would protest, the more he would restrict to the point where he actually set up an altar in the temple and sacrificed a pig on the altar in the holy place. Not the most holy place. He didn't even dare go in there. But in the holy place where the altar was, where the priest would make the sacrifice and sprinkle the blood, he sacrificed a pig. Which is like the worst defilement you could get because that was an unclean animal, right? Anything that touches an unclean animal is now what? Unclean. How do you purify something that's unclean? You have to sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on the altar. But the altar is what's unclean. So this is why many Jewish scholars look at this as the abomination that makes desolate because the abomination part being the sacrifice of a pig, the desolation being how do you purify the object that we use to purify when it's been defiled? They really didn't know how to... It it kind of put a, a stick in the spokes of Israel's religion. It broke things for a while until they could figure out how to make things right again. Now, if we look at Matthew, there is an important phrase here I want you to pay attention to. Jesus says, again, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Who's the reader he's talking about? No. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, he's talking about people who are reading the book of Daniel. Now, it might be us, but he's not talking about reading the book of Matthew like we are. He's talking about reading the book of Daniel. Let the reader understand. Why would Jesus say that about the book of Daniel? What kind of book is Daniel? It's a prophetic book, right? The language that's used in a prophetic book is called apocalyptic language. And it is extremely, extremely figurative in nature. Which means you've got to do a lot of understanding when you read the book of Daniel. Because if you read the book of Daniel with the wrong lens on, You know, it's just like if I try to put on a pair of bifocals right now that are not my prescription, I'm going to have a hard time reading. With my prescription, I have a hard time reading. Let the reader understand. Jesus is talking about the first century. He's talking about his disciples. When you read the book of Daniel and you see this desolation, this, this abomination take place standing in the temple you'll know what I'm talking about. That's important. And he says, when you see it. So when is this going to happen? Still in their future, right? He's not talking about Antiochus. He's talking about something else that's going to take place. So so here we have an illustration in Daniel of a prophecy that was future and immediate future, relatively speaking, right? Now, there was a a long time frame between Daniel and Antiochus, right? Because when Daniel was in captivity, the temple was destroyed. So the temple had to be rebuilt. There had to be people returned to Israel and so on and so forth. But when Daniel said this, there was a near-term the abomination of desolation with Antiochus sacrificing the pig, and there was something else yet to come that would fit that description. So this is how we need to look at prophecy in Scripture. It's not always that there is something way far out there in the future that's going to take place. In fact, I would say that most prophecy has something up close and personal that is going to happen As well. Okay. So when Jesus says, when you see this, he's comparing it to what they already know. And he's telling them that it's yet to come. And he says that this is pretty much the ultimate sign for this prophecy. See, all the stuff that he talked about that we looked at last week, where uh, people will come in his name saying he is the Christ uh There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be um famines and earthquakes and nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and all those sort of things. He says that's the beginning. And then he got personal and he said they were going to be persecuted and there was going to be people falling away from the faith and people betraying one another and hating one another and, and all these things going on within the church. Here, he says, when you see this, now things are going to get real. All that other stuff he said was the beginning of the birth pains. This he says is the ultimate sign, the end sign of the fulfillment of his prophecy. Um I'll talk about that here uh the 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 fulfillment of this prophecy in just a minute. Um He gives them instructions when they see this sign. When you see this sign, what are they supposed to do? Run. (laughs) Get out. Get out of town. Some of the the things that people have put forward as fulfillments of his prophecy. Um, In 40 AD, uh, the Roman Emperor Gaius... now. By the way, 40 A.D. is only like six years or so after Jesus said this, right? Six to seven years. So not very far down the road. Definitely within the generation that he was talking about. Definitely in the immediate future. Emperor Gaius commanded a statue of himself set up in the temple. That could be, right? A pagan statue in the temple Um in... uh uh 70 A.D., Roman soldiers marched into the temple and destroyed it. That could be what he was talking about. Uh, The one that I find most convincing was actually committed by Jews in the year 69 A.D. Uh, the, The Roman army had come in to attack Jerusalem. They had surrounded Jerusalem. They had Jerusalem under siege. And the The Roman Emperor Nero did something that nobody expected. He committed suicide well when you're when your commanding Emperor suddenly dies in the middle of a invasion, that kind of throws things into a little bit of turmoil right so the the general of the armies got called back to Rome to help. Stabilize the government. So there was a lull in the invasion, and a group of zealots, now these are these are hardcore Jews. These are these are these are militant Jewish believers. Invaded the temple. Okay, they're militant Jews, but they invaded the temple, they profaned the holy place, they evicted the priests. And they committed war crimes in the temple. That doesn't sound good to me. Uh, the, The Jewish historian Josephus, who was actually in Jerusalem during the invasion, said that it was the worst offense that happened during the invasion, even compared to the destruction of the temple, because it was Jews who did it. This might have been what Jesus was prophesying about. Um, Whatever it was, whether it was the the statue in 40 A.D., whether it was the invasion uh, by the zealots in 69 or the actual destruction of the temple in uh, 70, it was obviously tied to the destruction of the temple. It It was somehow linked to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D. And Jesus said, get out. Why is that a big deal? Well, what was the traditional wisdom in ancient times if your city is being attacked? Now, you've got a city with a fortress in it. You've got walls around it, and you have villages and stuff outside the city. What would you do if your city came under siege? Say again? You'll run to the fortress. You go into the city, right? You, you get behind the walls because walls are there to protect people. And that's where the soldiers are to protect you. Traditional wisdom said, go into the city. What did Jesus say? Get out of the city. If you're in Judea, run to the mountains. If you're on your rooftop, get down and run. Not into the house. Don't pack a bag. Don't stop to get your purse or pick up your laptop. Get out. If you're a farmer in the fields, don't go home and change clothes and shower on your way out of town. Get out, don't delay, move, go. Any idea about the rooftop? Why would he he say something about being on a rooftop? Is there like, you know, a big roofing business in Jerusalem at that point in time? In Jerusalem, the rooftop would have been flat, surrounded by a fence or a railing, and that was the equivalent of their front patio because when things get cool at night, you have a house that's made out of stone. Did not know this living up in the hills where we grew up. If you have a house that is made out of stone or made out of brick or even veneered with brick like mine is, and the sun beats on it all day long, right? What do those bricks do? They heat up, but they don't instantly transfer that heat to the inside of the house. That happens when it gets cool outside. And then that heat radiates inside the house. So in the evening time, they would sit on the rooftop and enjoy their dinner and a drink in the cool breeze instead of sitting inside the house in Jerusalem, in the Middle East, where the sun is right there. You can reach out and touch it. Jesus says... Get out of town. Go out of the city. He says he feels bad for women who are pregnant or nursing. Why? Have you ever traveled with a woman who is pregnant or nursing? All right. The picture that Jesus is painting here is a picture of speed. He said, if you're out in the field and you're dirty and you're sweaty and you're hot and you're miserable, don't stop back at the house to change your clothes and take a shower. Get out of town. If you're up on your rooftop, don't stop inside the house to grab a bag. Get out of town. The picture here is speed. Go, 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 go. I feel bad if you're pregnant or you're nursing. Because I can tell you as a veteran of... Parenting and being married to somebody who was pregnant four times. There is nothing about that part of life that is fast. Nothing. Okay, pregnant woman can only waddle so fast. That's just a statement of fact. I'm not being mean. The only thing about fast is the speed at which you peel off the interstate to get to a rest area. Because you heard that sound coming from the car seat. And he says, pray that it doesn't come on a Sabbath or in the winter time." Why? On the Sabbath, a good observant Jew could only go half a mile. 2,000 cubits, right? That's the distance they could travel. A good observant Jew could only go so far. And even though Jesus is... Now, I have a hard time picturing this because I've been in a situation where I had missiles being fired at my location. So so half a mile... I could have run all the way to Saudi Arabia at that point. I was in Kuwait. Incoming missiles, go seek shelter. If I had to run to Oman, I would have done it. Right? But for a good observant Jew, it's on the Sabbath. You need to flee away from the city. They hit that half a mile. Wait. Now what do we do? Well, you keep running. But I can't. It's the Sabbath. No, really, there's an army behind us. Keep running. No, but it's the Sabbath. There's a delay there. No matter how short, it's still a delay. And the picture that Jesus is painting is, get out of town without delay. Why would he say, pray that it's not in the winter? And this is the Middle East. I mean, come on, it's always sunny in the Middle East, right? No. 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 Iggy, it's cold over there. And travel is difficult in the winter, even in Jerusalem. Jesus is saying that when this when this sign of the abomination of desolation shows up, I mean, I can't put, I want to steal a line from an infomercial. Do not delay, act now. Operators are not standing by. Get out of town. It's like Jesus cannot tell them how urgent it is for them to get away from Jerusalem. Why? Look at verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and will never be will never be. If all of this stuff that Jesus has been talking about has been the destruction of Jerusalem, he's saying this is as bad as it will ever be in human history. How bad was it when Jerusalem was invaded? Well, if you read Josephus, that historian who was in Jerusalem when the attack happened, during the siege was a Passover. Now here's, here's the, this, is, this was smart. The conquering general, Titus, allowed people to enter Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. He told his troops, let them in. That's awesome. But when they tried to leave, no, so for Passover, you get all these pilgrims coming into Jerusalem. It's a city with finite water and finite food and finite space. And now all of a sudden, think cruising the coast, but with locked walls around the city of Biloxi and Gulfport. Nobody can leave. What happened? Famine. They ran out of food. As twisted as this sounds, there were people who resorted to cannibalism. We, you know, our American sensibilities, we cringe at the thought of eating horse meat, right? We, we have a whole group of people in the United States who have never been overseas and who think that everybody has to think the way we do. And so those countries where it is acceptable, permissible, and even necessary to eat things like rats and dogs, we frown on that because that's just nasty. But at least it's not eating your own kids, which was happening in Jerusalem during that time. It was, the people were starving to death. So when the Roman army came in, What strength did they have to fight? None. And they were packed in this crowded city. So when you have an enemy who has no strength left and they're packed in like sardines, how hard is it to decimate them? The slaughter was unimaginable. The people were utterly destroyed. But... Jesus says, if the days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. Now that's kind of odd because he's talking in the past tense, right? If the days had not been cut short, but he's talking about a future event. Remember, he's Jesus. He's speaking prophetically, he's seeing this as though it's already occurred. Josephus tells us that there were things that happened that did shorten the length of the siege like the leaders in the city stepped up and surrendered early instead of persisting to fight. There were things that happened to shorten the attack so that people did survive. They probably saved more lives than we could ever know. Now, so far, we're still supporting this over here, the destruction of Jerusalem, right? There are particularly your your uh, um, pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation folks, your dispensational uh, eschatology folks who, who see this as a future event with the coming of Christ, they have to at least admit that there was a partial fulfillment of this prophecy in 70 A.D. Because this happened in Jerusalem. Verse 23, Jesus repeats himself. In verse 5, he was warning them about false Christs and false prophets. Here he does the same thing. He says, don't be deceived. They will even have the ability to do great signs and wonders. That's in verse 24. There are some who point to this as a warning about the Antichrist and his prophet, that they will have the ability to perform miracles. Let me ask you a question, something for you to think about. Does Satan have the ability to perform miracles? What if I told you the answer was no? Remember, correct. Remember when we started talking about Acts and we started talking about the early parts of the Gospel of Matthew, as Jesus was walking around, he would preach, and then there would be a sign, right? And that sign, that miracle was to prove that he had God's authority to preach what he preached, right? That it was, it was that little you know at the end, I am God, and I approve this message. In the book of Acts, whenever the disciples went to an unreached people group, when Peter went to Cornelius's house and he preached the gospel to him, what happened? When they believed, the Holy Spirit fell, and they began speaking in tongues. Right, That was a sign that God gave to substantiate that they were, in fact, incorporated into the family of God. When something happened where somebody was healed, like Peter and John in the temple, when they reached out and healed the lame man that caused them to get taken before the Sanhedrin, that was a sign that they were speaking with God's authority. If the purpose of miracles is to prove that you have God's backing... What would have happened to the church if Satan actually had the power to perform miracles? How hard would it have been to know whether it was coming from God or from Satan? Right? Even the Pharisees, when when Jesus cast out the demon, what did they say? He's doing it by the power of Satan. Jesus said, be careful. Don't give God's power to the devil. Don't blaspheme against the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do that. That's the unforgivable sin. What Satan has the ability to do is to counterfeit the power of God. Think about Moses when he went to Egypt, right? What was the first miracle that Moses performed in Egypt? Right, he took his staff, he threw it on the ground, it became a snake. And then Pharaoh's magicians did what? They did the same thing, except what what did Moses' staff do? He ate theirs, right? Okay. He turned the Nile River to blood. He restored it. What did they do? They turned the river to blood, right? They mimicked his miracles. They counterfeited his miracles. That's what Satan has the ability to do. And Jesus says, don't believe the reports just because people claim to have witnessed miracles. That never happens today. How many of these faith healers have been debunked because they are putting people in their audience who aren't really sick? A bunch of them, right? Jesus says, don't believe reports just because people claim to have seen miracles. They're false, And he even says, look, I'm warning you about this beforehand. Verse 25, I'm warning you about this beforehand. Why? Because I know you're going to believe it. Don't believe it. Now I'm probably going to get people mad at me. If you happen to believe of a rapture that is going to happen, there's going to be a secret return of Jesus where the church is taken out of the world first and then there's going to be tribulation and stuff. I'm going to I'll let you right now, I disagree with that point of view. There are people who teach it, okay? But I think verse 27 really kind of squashes it along with what Jesus has already said um, about his return. Verse 27, he says, as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of man. Lightning. Have you seen any lightning this week? Okay. Earlier this week, when that thunderstorm hit late at night, and I mean, it didn't rain really hard, but man, the thunder and the lightning was just intense. I mean, it was just pounding. I'm sound asleep, and I could see the lightning. It woke me up because I could see the flash through my eyelids. It's a flash of light. Jesus says, That lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west. Okay. How far is the east from the west? Forever. You can can go west as far as you want. You're never going to land at east. That's that's the way the compass works. If you go north, eventually you're going to turn around and you're going to meet south. Right? But if I go west, that's east. If I go west and I keep going west, when am I going to hit east? I can't. Jesus says, the lightning flashes in the east and shines as far as the west. It's visible. It's a bright light. Everybody can see it. So will be the coming of man, of the Son of Man. How does Paul put it when he writes to the Thessalonians? For Jesus will return with what? The shout. The the shout, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet from heaven. Okay. I was in band when I was, when I was younger. Right? And as a percussionist, we often got saddled with being near the brass instruments. Okay? Right? When was the last time you heard a quiet trumpet? They don't play quiet. They just don't. If you want a trumpet to be quiet, you have to choke the trumpeter so they can't breathe. Okay? Even with that little mute thing that they stick in the, it doesn't get quiet. Trumpets are loud for a reason. Right? And he says with the shout of the archangel. Right? Shout. Really? Really? We think that Jesus is gonna return and he's gonna whisper? And his trumpet's going to go. No, that's not the picture here. Jesus says, when I come back, people are going to know. You're not going to miss it. There's going to be light. There's going to be sound. There's going to be noise. Doesn't sound secret to me. I mean, maybe for the guy who's blind and deaf but I don't think so because <laughs> they can feel the vibrations and there'd be a lot of vibrations to hear and to feel. Now, I'm going to wrap this up in part because it's 10 after already, but the other parts, because we hit the last verse, this personally, this verse was one of the hardest for me to, to wrap my hands around. Um, though it's an easy, I mean the, the picture that it paints, right? Where the, where the corpse is, so the vultures will gather. Okay, I grew up in the sticks. Right? If if I needed to find a dead animal someplace, all I had to do was go like this. <laughs> Cause I'll never forget here a few years ago we went to a music festival up in uh up in Jackson and we're dry there's a, a meat processing plant on forty nine, like they they do sausages and stuff, and I have never seen so many buzzards flying around in my life just circling around that meat plant, right? Because that's what they do. But what does this have to do with the fall of Jerusalem, with Jesus and his return? And Because that's what the the last couple of verses, that's Jesus' return. Is Jesus saying his return is tied to the fall of the temple? I don't necessarily think so. I think we're talking about two separate events. But what does vultures around a carcass have to do with this? Well... Number one, if you happen to have handy a dictionary, a Greek dictionary, or a concordance, or if you're using software where you have Strong's in your, your uh, Bible where you can tap on a word and it tells you what the Greek word is, the Greek word for vulture is also the Greek word for eagle. They didn't differentiate, it's the same word. Okay? Both of them, as much as we like to think of the eagle as this big, majestic, hunting bird, when it comes down to it, the eagle is a, is a scavenger, right? They're one of the birds that we're told we're not supposed to eat because they're a scavenger, right? Now, bald eagles, they prefer to eat fish, so they're, they're off the hook, they're okay. But golden eagles and, and the eagles in the Middle East, They're scavengers. They're scrounges. They're just like hyenas and jackals. So it could be that the word that Jesus used, that we have translated as vulture, could be translated as eagle. Okay? This is a problem with English. The picture of eagles gathering around a carcass. Well, what has Jesus been talking about is going to die. He's talking about Jerusalem, right? He's talking about the fall of Jerusalem. He's talking about the destruction of the temple. He's even, we looked at last week, he's talking about the end of the age of the Jews, right? And that time of trouble that indicates the end of the age of the Jews. The the carcass is Jerusalem, Israel, God's people in that spot. And then we have this possibility that he's talking about an eagle. It is possible. On every Roman flag in the Roman Empire, the symbol of the empire was an eagle. In fact, that was the symbol that the Nazis copied. That was the eagle. That particular, the the eagle with the outstretched wings that the Nazis used that's the Roman eagle and it was at the top of all the flagpoles and it was on their emblems and it was it was on their shields and on their armor it was so when the Romans surrounded Jerusalem the eagles had gathered around the carcass it could be that that's what Jesus was indicating maybe don't know for sure but it seems to fit the language and the picture that Jesus uses. Now, that brings us up to verse 29. And we're going to go from verse 29, probably at least as far as verse 35 next week, which will be a short week for you guys to make up for this week. All right, we'll start in verse 29, we'll go to verse uh, 35 at least. Um, Please read those this week in preparation for our uh, next week's service. And again, I will invite you, if you run into any questions, bring them in. I might not be able to answer them next week, but I will go research them so that I can answer them the week after. Likewise, if you have any questions about today's or, or even last week's message, Um, Don't forget, you can go out to the church website, uh, olivet-baptist.org, and listen to previous sermons via podcast if you so desire.